I think employers have a duty of care to say, I think you're pushing yourself too hard. I think you need to ease off a bit. I'm going to give you an extra day off over the weekend. You know, go enjoy the time with your family. There's a responsibility of an employer to do that. And equally, as human beings, we have a responsibility to ourselves to say, I feel I'm pushing too hard on the pedal at the moment. I need to ease up a bit for my self-preservation. So I think it's about that kind of psychological contract with each other to say, I'm going to look after myself and I trust that as my employer, you're going to look after me as well. Welcome to the Big Career Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti and I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children. And that leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We must change this. And I hope that many of you listening to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place. Thank you for listening. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. You can find out all about our work on the website and the best way to be kept in touch with things is the newsletter on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. As you've seen, we've changed the release date to Thursdays. I hope this works for you. If not, do let me know. The reason for that is mainly because I'm trying to lead by example in terms of workload management because members of my team who are critical to the podcast production are not working at the beginning of the week. So it makes a lot of sense to just move the podcast later ever so slightly. But any feedback you have, just let me know. This week, I'm talking to Alison and Helen about what really holds back employers from being properly flexible and what can we do about it. My name is Alison Hilton. I'm a people director for People Puzzles, and I've been doing that for five years now, which is incredible. Prior to that, I was in the corporate world for many years. And in my family, I have got quite a large family. I've got 12 grandchildren now, which is very exciting. So I've got four stepchildren and 12 grandchildren. So busy family life, a lot to juggle. (laughs) I bet. And I bet During the school holidays, everyone calls you in to help out. We are recording it in the school holidays at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that's where if people are fortunate enough to have family support near to them, then school holidays, that's invaluable. Absolutely. My mother was kind enough to fly in from Switzerland for a week. Actually, come by train from Switzerland, I should say, to help out, which I'm extremely grateful. Helen, let's come to you. Who are you? What do you do for work? And who is in your family? So I'm one of the co-owners of People Puzzles and I have got two children who are they're teenagers now. So they're 18 and 16. So, yeah, they still keep me busy. And let's start with explaining what People Puzzles is, Helen. What do you do? So People Puzzles provide part time HR directors to small to mid-sized businesses and it basically services both our clients who have access to brilliant people like Alison, who've had esteemed corporate careers to help the businesses grow and be more successful. But also, this was very much part of my motivation when I met Ali, who founded People Puzzles to get involved in the business. It also helps people who want to work in a different way to have interesting, fulfilling careers, but often have sort of commitments at home, care commitments, children, 
older parents or just want to work in a really different and flexible way. So yeah, that's what we do. Wonderful. And I'm asking this as part of every podcast and I'll ask it of you now, Alison. You're seeing a new generation grow up now. Mm. What did you used to believe about combining an ambitious career with young children that you don't believe anymore today? Well, that's a great question. I'm not sure it's about belief, but observation. But I'll try and do both. So the belief in my early career, and I mean, I've now been working for 40 years, so an awful long time, a very long time. And in that time, things have changed phenomenally, both in terms of our beliefs, as to your question, but in terms of working practices too. What was acceptable as a working practice 40 years ago is very different to what's a an acceptable opportunity in working practices today. But I think also beliefs come with different confidence levels. So probably when I started out, I wasn't as confident in asking for things as I might be now with more experience. And now I believe that there's so much more possibility to enable people with busy lives to work in a way that really works for the family life as well as for the organization. And whereas 40 years ago, I'm not sure that that concept would even have entered my head, let alone the belief that you could do that. And why is it you think that employees have the desire to go freelance? I think, Helen, you and I, we had an interesting discussion about this. Originally, we talked about our different organisations and actually that you're doing something quite complementary and that you are supporting people who don't want to be employed, but who want to make a difference and apply themselves to do that. While obviously I'm supporting people to get to progress their careers within organisations to do it in a way that works. And I think both are needed. But in your view, Helen, why do you think even in 2023, people still feel the need that actually working freelance is what is needed rather than staying with the organisation? Why can't organisations offer the same level of flexibility that a freelancer has? I mean, I would argue that employers could, but it's not something that's That level of flexibility that you get as a freelancer is something that is often not provided still by employers. But I think, you know, it definitely would be amazing if there was a day when that was possible. But, you know, lots of people come to us because, I don't know, like there are just so many stories from the team of people who, I don't know, ended up with shared custody after a divorce with their children. Mm and realised that they just couldn't manage to look after the children in half the school holiday because they didn't have that much leave. Or, you know, just school holidays are always a challenge for parents or just want a level of flexibility that their corporate employer wasn't able to offer them. So I think that's where, you know, quite often that's where People Puzzles has been able to provide an alternative way of working for team members and to the great benefit of our clients, I have to say. I think I'd just build on that, if I may, because I think that I joined People Puzzles for the very reasons that Helen's talking about, actually. In my corporate life, I actually, at that time, I had two grandchildren who were poorly. So I was visiting in hospital in the evening. So I was living in London during the week. I'm based in Suffolk. And then I was going to Cambridge in the evenings to the hospital to visit. And I had, I'm a sandwich generation. So I have grandchildren. I have elderly relatives who need care too. And really the corporate world stopped working for me so well. And actually what I do now just enables me to be the person that I want to be to the people that I love and offer a good quality of work and have a fulfilling career for the clients that I work for as well. 
But I think also this era, just to finalise on the point, this era is the era of opportunity because actually in the pandemic, there was so much possibility in ways of working. And I think now is the opportune time to progress that, to further the discussion, because if we don't, if we leave it and we just revert to hybrid working or a four-day week, which tend to be the two popular things at the moment, then I think we've missed the opportunity that actually a very difficult period through the pandemic gave us because it was more acceptable to ask for things that worked for family life. I think that was just a really interesting little phrase you used then, Alison, mm-hmm. when you were explaining that, that you were able to be the person that you wanted to be to the people mm-hmm. that you love. And mm-hmm. I, I really believe that that should be something that should be okay for everybody. That mm. isn't that just what everybody wants? And well, so, if you, as an employer, if you start with that idea that everybody should be allowed to be people that they want to be to the people they love, and giving people the flexibility to do that, and understanding that that is actually people's, for most people, that is their priority in life, then it does make you think about that employer-employee relationship in a different way. I think. And you both advise employers. You, know, you, Alison, your job is to be the expert coming in to an employer, giving advice, guidance and so on. What do you think are the real underlying reasons for employers not giving that level of flexibility and not taking those brave experiments? I think the word brave is really important because actually what I see hold back a lot of businesses is fear psychological fear of what does this mean and am I going to lose control and will my business suffer as a result if I'm more open to a different way of working for the people in the organisation. So I think this is cultural. I don't believe that there's an employment law restriction. I really don't. And that's the type of conversation that I have with employers is help me understand what you think the barriers are because actually they're in our heads more than they are in reality. And in my experience, with particularly with employee motivation, the more trust you give an employee, the more autonomy you give an employee, the more decision-making powers that they have, the more productive they are and therefore the better they perform. So create an environment where your people can be performing at their best capability and it's a win-win. They get the environment that works for them to enable them to fulfill themselves as a human being and produce really amazing work for the organization. And the organization gets happy employees who are amazingly talented. And it's just trying to figure out from a psychological perspective, what does that actually mean between the employer and the employees? And a lot of it does come down to trust, bravery, as you said, and certainly not down to employment law restrictions. I completely agree. I think, you know, the foundation of any sort of relationship like this is you've got to completely 100% trust your team. Mm. And if you don't have that, it's not going to work. Interesting. So the employment laws is not the problem. So employers could give flexibility. One thing I'm coming up against is quite often this question around fairness, that employers Mm. or specifically line managers are really worried about having different arrangements or different people. And then also that level of flexibility that enables trust. You know, Mm. let's say someone works three days a week, but they might do yoga on a Monday morning and therefore they do the extra two hours on a Friday. They find that hard to let that go because of the Mm. accusations around fairness. 
and so on. How do you deal with that? I think that comes back to actually it's quite a shift again, trying to get people to focus on outcomes that employees deliver rather than working hours. So everybody can do a 40 hour week. You know, you can fit it in whenever, but it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to produce the same amount of work or the same outcomes. And actually, for me, it doesn't really matter whether somebody does a 10 hour or a 40 hour. It's the outcome that you're trying to achieve that matters. The challenge with that, and I think maybe this is where some of the fear comes from, the challenge is getting people to think about, okay, because we do have to have employment contracts. We do have to have some kind of framework that enables us to all understand what are the terms of the employment and trying to understand, okay, if that's the outcome I want over a three-month period, then what are the average hours that I think it's going to take to achieve that? And the the individual and the employer can work on what's the framework in which you do that. How much freedom do you have to work when you want, where you want and how you want? But as long as you're agreed on the outcome and you agreed roughly how long that outcome is going to take to be achieved, then I think you can still have that fairness. Because ultimately, that is what the employers want. They want an outcome from the person that's working for them. That's ultimately what the exchange is between an employee working and an employer paying them, is you're paying for the outcome that that person is able to deliver for you. Mm. And if you focus on that, then I think it's far more possible to think about what's the art of the possible rather than what are the restrictions that I want to create around this. So with this outcome-based management, I think one of the key barriers is getting line managers equipped and skilled to do mm-hmm. it's much harder than checking if someone is still at work at five o'clock in the afternoon isn't it so what are your thoughts around equipping line managers making sure line managers are consistently skilled at outcome-based management i think it's exactly the same type of skill as you have to have for any performance conversation it's as an individual the way that i work with my clients is I focus quite strongly on stakeholder management. So they're never going to ask me, Alison, how many hours are you doing? What time are you coming in? Or when are you going to do this? What they will ask me about is this is what we asked you to do. How are you getting on with it? And so I focus a lot on giving updates, providing updates, providing expectations. So it is about line management. You're quite right. But it's also about the individual getting used to measuring themselves and being able to update somebody on the progress of the outcome. So I've got a project to do. I think it's going to take me four weeks at the end of the first week. This is where I've got to. This is what I'm going to focus on next week. Same with a line manager to be able to say, okay, what were your goals for this week within the outcome project? How did you get on? How much of those goals did you manage to achieve this week? What's your plan for next week? What can I help you with? What do you think might be difficult for you along the way? That's no different to a really great conversation that a line manager would be having in any type of conversation, it's probably the difference is focusing again on the outcome rather than how many hours have you done this week and what exactly have you achieved. It's the tonality of it. And I think it's just focusing in it a different way. But you're quite right. Line management capability has always been really important, but it's just trying to get people to think about it just in a slightly different way. Helen, I don't know what you think about that. Thinking about our own personal experiences of trying to do this at people mm. and clarity of, of an outcome mm. for the, the team and actually being able to work out how long things are going to take. That has been something we struggled with. So, you know, at the beginning when we were doing this, we were kind of kept getting it a bit wrong. 
And I guess you just have to sort of learn with the team that actually things do take a bit longer than you expect. And 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 we're better at that now. I think having some space. So if we've got, so for example, some outcomes that need to be delivered in three months, having space to talk about when issues come up, you know, what are the things that are preventing you from maybe pressing on that? So that's a slightly different sort of nuance to how we would manage it. So we would be looking at what's your progress on these outcomes We always talk about that in a separate meeting to what issues are coming up. So there's a sort of discipline about how we do that. And I think the other thing that I've noticed with doing this, with like giving people lots of freedom and about how they kind of do their work, is that people really hate it when they get things wrong. And it really, I think it bothers people more. So if you've given them an autonomy to sort of work out how they're going to deliver an outcome and things don't go quite the way they'd hoped and they're not on track... I think you've just got to just be aware as a manager that that's you've got to be there to support people. And actually, I think it bothers people more. I think people want to do a better job if they've had a a lot of say in how they do it. They take greater ownership of it and are more concerned if things go a bit off track. So there's some of our learnings. It's definitely quite a different mindset of how you manage people, I think. Interesting. It's fascinating to flip it. So very often we think, you know, freelancing is actually it's at the edge of the workplace and it's a way out but actually hearing from you makes me think that freelancing is showing us how the future of work could be and the way that you Helen manage those freelancers is how most of us should line manage our employees I think what else have you learned Helen around managing freelancers that you think could be worthwhile to create that flexibility in organizations the comments I was making earlier was actually about managing our employed team. And, you know, one of the great things about the freelance, our freelance team is they are very self-managing, actually, because they've all come from, I guess, partly it's their backgrounds, but also they're very motivated to work in this way. Because for a lot of the team, they'll say that it really, if you give people a way of working that really changes their lives, and like Alison said, that gives people the possibility of, you know, being the person they want to be to the people that they love, then they really want to do a great job for you. And we've tried to keep that ethos both with our team of people at the sort of centre of people puzzles that we employ, as well as the freelancers, that kind of concept of giving people that freedom to work in a way that works for them. So, yeah, it makes managing people a lot easier, I think, is one of the things I would say. Interesting. I'm going to challenge you. Obviously, I'm with you on all the flexible working and so on. However, I read this very interesting book around the flexibility paradox by Dr. He Jung Chung. You might have come across it. And essentially, she argues that flexible working can be a highway to self-exploitation and also to being exploited by your employer because you're so grateful that you're only only in quotation marks having to work for three days a week. And therefore, you pick up that lots of extra work on a Friday afternoon and you take that call with a client on a Thursday morning and you really get stressed because that's the time when you should be interacting with your child or you want to be interacting with your child. What have you learned about how employers can successfully manage that, still focus on performance, focus on outcomes, but create an environment where people don't burn themselves out? So I think focusing on well-being and mental health is actually really important, particularly if you've got parents working this way. I think it's a really valid Mm -hmm. point. But I sort of feel for me personally, it's our responsibility to hold people to account to have their day off, actually. Like, I really don't want people working too hard and saying to people, you know, you don't work on a Friday. So put your out of office on and making sure that people this way of working shouldn't 
result in that. It can. And if you're seeing that those tendencies with a team member, it's about a conversation because that isn't what we would ever want somebody to do. But you're right. It can absolutely. That is a danger that as an employer, I think you have to be aware of. I think that's about flexibility, though. It's really interesting. I've got a client right now who sadly has had an awful lot of asks and requests for passionately for a variety of reasons, all family related of various different types of family. And has been very generous with the compassionate leap. And I really value that in the value set of that company. But they currently have quite a rigid way of working. They have clock on hours, finish hours, and they run shift basis. But the reward that they get for the care that they show that their employees and the flexibility that they give when it's needed is actually really warming for those individuals and for everybody in the organisation because we all want our colleagues to be cared for when they need that care. That's really important, I think, as part of the culture of any organisation. I think what we're talking about in greater degrees of flexibility is just stretching that a little bit more. I think you're spot on and that book is spot on in the sense of there will always be people who will give more of themselves because they're grateful in the phrase that you used. However, that is true regardless of degrees of flexibility. You know, in my in my corporate life, I worked exceptionally long hours, way beyond my contracted hours. I did that partly because I loved my job. I did it partly because I really wanted to do a good job and deliver all the outcomes to a very high level. But equally, I did it because I could have freedom to do the things that I wanted to do. But I think there is a piece around self-awareness and employer awareness to what you said, Helen. I think employers have a duty of care to say, I think you're pushing yourself too hard. I think you need to ease off a bit. I'm going to give you an extra day off over the weekend. You know, go enjoy the time with your family. There's a responsibility of an employer to do that. And equally, as human beings, we have a responsibility to ourselves to say, I feel I'm pushing too hard on the pedal at the moment. I need to ease up a bit for my self-preservation. So I think it's about that kind of psychological contract with each other to say, I'm going to look after myself and I trust that as my employer, you're going to look after me as well. Mm. Interestingly, one of the things that we do with our our central team at People Puzzles is we start every meeting with a, a score out of 10 for how we're feeling about our work and a score out of 10 for how we're feeling about our personal life. That sort of, because we all work virtually, I sort of feel like it's quite easy not to know whether somebody's overwhelmed with work or mm-hmm. or indeed they've got something happening and, you know, they've got a poorly child or, and I think that that's, it always takes up quite a bit of time and, but it has actually has, it's a discipline that's really helped because then you are able to sort of say to somebody, you know, actually, if you're feeling five out of 10 about work because you're really overwhelmed and working really hard, that's not where we want to be. So let's have a conversation about how we can sort this out. So I'm thinking, making sure you're always checking in with people about, you know, what's happening in their personal life, what's happening at work and making sure that they are are happy and that if they're happy and have a good balance, I sort of always really believe people will work, will do better work. I mean, you know, there's lots of evidence, isn't there, about creativity and coming up with good ideas. And if people are working far too many hours, they're just less likely to be as creative and as productive and as happy an employee than if they've got a good work-life balance. Very true. One thing I'm noticing when talking to our fellows, so I mentioned to you, Helen, we run this fellowship program where we support parents to continue to progress their careers and get promoted. And a theme that comes out when they talk about the land managers is that they really value the informal flexibility. Obviously, they like flexible working arrangements, but it's about how that manager reacts Mm -hmm. when there's an emergency, 
at nursery and their husband or wife is in the other part of the country and they have to drop everything before the client meeting and rush out. That's what matters. How do we give line managers the confidence and the right values? I know we all talk about culture, but how do we get those line managers to act in that right supportive way when it matters? I feel like quite a lot of it's to do with role modelling. You know, I would, when I was running people puzzles, I worked very many hours and I kind of realised I wasn't role modelling good behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't do that now. But I think a lot of it is to do with everybody, the most senior people in the organisation, regardless of the most what, what meeting you're having or how many important people there are in the room, everyone has to be able to say, I don't know, like we, we might have a board meeting and somebody might say, I've got to pick my child up because they've they just need picked up from school. It's not a special occasion or something. They're just stuck at school and I need to stop this meeting for 20 minutes and I need to go and pick them up. And if everyone in the organisation sees the leaders of the organisation giving those in the moment flexible decisions or, you know, sometimes someone might ring me up and I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, I pick up my my the, the call, but I'll just, I can't have a chat today because, you know, I'm I'm dealing with some family situation. So I think it's about culture that has to go right to the top of the organization and people have to be really brave and just you know sometimes accept that productivity is going to be lower for a particular person for a period of time because they need some in the moment flexibility because their their daughter's got I don't know scarlet fever and that's more Mm -hmm. going to be more important to them than their job for that period of time but you know that when they come back to work they're going to want to catch up and give a hundred percent because you've given them that flexibility during another point so I think that just to build on that, that as well, I think it, it is about the role modeling of leaders and the storytelling, either real time storytelling or when people have events or calls, telling the stories of why the environment is important to them. But I think for line managers, it's also about giving them permission. So quite often a company will have a policy, but it's the interpretation of that policy and how widely they can interpret it. So if a policy says you only have up to five days compassionate leave, then a line manager could take that really literally and say, okay, you've got to be back tomorrow. I need you. Whereas actually the reality is that's a guide. And, but unless a line manager is told and there's a culture that explains policies in a way that says, actually, this is a framework for you to use, but I trust you as a manager to do the right thing and ensure that your team is still delivering for the business, but that you do it in a way that meets the needs of every single person within that team outside of work as well as inside of work it's always really tricky this because to a certain extent it does come back to fairness doesn't it because Mm. you know some people have more demands on their time than other people and it therefore means that they end up with sort of a more flexible situation and that has been something that has concerned me in the past and I was just I was just sort of I know we were talking about this earlier I was kind of mulling over what we've done at people puzzles to address some of that as well and I guess you know, there are lots of team members that perhaps don't, maybe don't have children and don't have, need the, that level of flexibility. But for those team members, they might go and have a haircut on a Wednesday afternoon, or they might go and do Pilates on a Tuesday morning, or they might want to go paragliding on a, you know, on a Friday. And I think it's all, you know, that is also important about, try, there is something about trying to make sure that there's a sense of fairness and that you're both trying to support people that need a lot of flexibility, but also giving some flexibility to people that might want to do just other stuff with their life that, I don't know, trying to keep it fair is also important is what I'm what I'm trying to say. Mm. Not 
I've actually got a good example of that in my family. My my stepdaughter, I'm proud of all of my stepchildren and grandchildren. This particular stepdaughter is a community nurse. And actually, the pandemic again opened my eyes to what the art of the possible is, because I, I probably had a bit of a closed mindset on if you if you do a particular job, can you have the flexibility that you want? Because she has children, she works a certain number of hours a week, and it's usually on a Monday and a Tuesday, and she does every other weekend as well. During the pandemic, her children were vulnerable, so she couldn't leave the house. But what the team did was arrange for her to do all the admin work for the team at home. And she was an expert on the end of the phone for the nurses that were less experienced than her. So she was the phone a friend for the team. How do I do this? How do I do that? And actually, post-pandemic, what I notice is they still do it. So the fairness that you were just talking about, Helen, is those people with family commitments, either children or, or elderly relatives and caring who need to do those things, they're supported by the entire team because quite often those people give back in a different way. So Jessie has continued to be a phone a friend, even outside of her working hours, because she appreciates the flexibility that she gets to meet the needs of her family. And that gives everybody fairness because people have got a support network to grow their skills and capabilities of somebody who's experienced. And those people who need the support for their families are getting it as well. And I just think I look at them as a team and I just think what a beautiful example of what can be possible, even though everybody thought pre-pandemic that ours was completely fixed. You know what? This is so interesting, isn't it? Because, I, you know, we sort of get ourselves sometimes in a knot about some of this stuff and feel like we've got to put some kind of like legal framework or contractual mm-hmm. framework in place. But that really is part of what I believe is that if you trust teams, if you trust people, they do kind of work it out themselves. And I've never, we've actually never had a situation where somebody in our team has gone, oh, I'm really unhappy that that person has that level of flexibility because, or actually generally people just like that kind of culture of support and flexibility and will work things out themselves. So it kind of comes, often comes back to trusting people just to do the right thing and to kind of work it out between themselves, which sounds a little bit like what that team did during the pandemic. They worked out a working pattern that worked for everybody, didn't they? And and carried it on since, which I think is is what I you know that the point I made earlier is I'm seeing people almost retreat after the pandemic back to the traditional methods of working that we had prior. And what I would love to see is more organizations encouraging the flexibility that we were able to offer during that that period because actually it was so much more meaningful for everybody and what I hear from candidates who are joining my client companies now is that's become really important is is when you're talking to candidates they want to move to a culture and to an organization that enables them to be in the way that they want to be and they're fully committed to their job but they want to balance everything that's going on in their lives and that's critical suddenly just became okay during the pandemic just to be yourself and to have children wandering around in the background and to be juggling all the things that everyone has to juggle and not have to kind of turn up with this work mask of you know none of that stuff is happening in the background for me I'm not really juggling 500 different things and making a pat lunch and walking the dog and trying to all the other things you always have to do outside work and I completely agree I feel like we could almost we should be leaning into that and leaning into the lessons Mm. we've learned and I, I agree I I think it'd be a real shame if we did start to sort of move away from some of the stuff that we've learned because it just I think it was very kind of freeing for a lot of people to be able to be more honest about their situation. You mentioned the word art of the possible a few times Alison. I'm interested what brave experiment 
would you like employers to try to keep moving ahead on that curve of the future of work rather than falling backwards? It sounds really simple, actually, but it starts with some of the basics, which is don't be constrained by the norm. So what I mean by that is most companies will have a standard working environment or, or week or pattern. And what I would love to see is almost tearing up that rule book and not completely because some companies or some roles will still need a framework, but thinking differently about if I want this amazing person to come and do this job, how flexible can I be so that it can work for them and for the company? Whereas we tend to start with, you know, writing a job advert or a job description that starts with hours rather than thinking what's the purpose of this job and what's it going to offer the individual and what's it going to offer the company and therefore do the hours really matter does that person really have to clock on and clock off not in a formal sense but in a psychological sense and the answer i want to say 10 times out of 10 is going to be no they don't have to because most people for all the reasons we've discussed so far will go to work to do their, their best job that they can possibly do. I genuinely still believe that that's the ethos that people come with. But we all also want to do the best in our total life, not just our work life. And in order to achieve that, it means you've got to start from what's the core purpose of this job and the outcome that I want this the person in this job to deliver and then have an open conversation in order to do that, what's going to work for you? If you come and work for this company, what, what does that mean? What, how's it going to work for you? It's really interesting because I was just thinking about what sort of conversations I have with our freelance team when we're interviewing them to potentially join people puzzles. And it is different because I often it starts with because, I mean, all the people I suppose I ever get to interview are already have gone through a number of interviews and assessments. So I know that they're going to be brilliant at what they, they do. But my starting conversation is often, well, how can we make this work for you? What is the what is the thing that's going to make you want to join people puzzles and how can I make it work? So whether it's I want to work school hours or I need to, I, I want to, I don't know, I need to go and stay, I want to go and stay in my holiday home in Italy in August or whatever it is, like how can I make this work for you? And that's a very different starting point of a conversation that you'd have normally with an employed role. Because I kind of think if I can get, if I can make that bit work, I'll get somebody amazing in the team and that person will be brilliant. So I'm not sure there's that many employers that sort of start a conversation with people that's really saying, how can I make this work for your life and your lifestyle and what, and what how you want to live your life? Yeah, I think it's really fascinating. The level of quality that you get, it's just, I don't know why other employers don't do it because it's so easy to get amazing people. That's exactly what I would really like to try and get that sort of message over to more employers that actually when you do it, when you really do trust people and you give them flexibility in the moment, allow them to be the best person they want to be outside of work as well as in work, you get people, that's what people want. And you get brilliant people that are willing to come, people like Alison, for example, who do puzzles because it allows her to have the work-life balance that she wanted so it, it absolutely has a commercial upside this isn't just about it is about doing the right thing it is about one you know the sort of future of work that we would all like but it also absolutely has a commercial upside you have people that you get brilliant people that will come and join you if you can offer them that level of flexible 
working. Companies are already seeing that though. So somebody was telling me the other day that they've been looking at some statistics on LinkedIn. And again, a basic level of companies that were offering a high degree of flexibility on going into the office or not, so just a variation of hybrid working, we're getting far more applications than companies that were dictating that somebody had to be in the office all the time. So there's already a candidate vote, if you like, on that. And I think what I'd encourage candidates to do, as well as employers, is make those choices. I'm only going to apply to organisations, and I'm sure that's why you're getting that quality of applicant that you talked about. I'm only going to apply for organisations that are going to enable me to live the life that I want. I completely agree. I'm sadly, well, I've just seen that we're coming towards the end of our conversation, very sadly. I am going to ask you to think about one thing that an employer who's listening to this could do this week in just five minutes to start making their organisation more flexible. So even just a very simple, if, if there's an HR leader or a senior leader listening, what's one small thing they could do to move the ball rolling to make their organisation a bit more flexible? I've got um, two, if I can squeeze two in, I'm being greedy, sorry. One would be tell your own story. Because I think that's really powerful to start changing a culture. Tell your own story of what's the flexibility that's important for you and how do you achieve that through work. The other would be the next job advert that your company puts out, write it exceptionally differently to the way that you've perhaps been writing it for. And think about in the tonality of the conversation we've just had, don't put something in there about hours or put put the hours are negotiable and place of work is negotiable, but write it differently and in a far less constraining way so that you have the opportunity to attract amazing people. Fantastic. I would agree with both of those. And then the only other thing I, I would add is trust people and mm-hmm. really mean it. So, you know, allow people to be really honest and open about what they're doing and the flexibility that they've got and 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 yeah just trust people wonderful thank you so much both where can people find out more about the work that you do you can come to our website www.peoplepuzzles.co.uk fantastic and you're both on linkedin as well yes great wonderful okay it has been a real pleasure to talk to you thank you for your insight advice and thought-provoking conversation and hopefully we can repeat this in some shape or form in the future it was really nice to spend time with you thank you likewise thank you very much thank you for listening today if you enjoyed the podcast and you think a non-judgmental community of support would be really helpful to you then i would love to hear from you as an application to the leaders plus fellowship program as you know properly this is designed to help you to identify where you want your career to head and will give you lots of support and encouragement along the way and then most importantly to help you make it possible to get there practically whilst being present with your family in whatever way you want that to be. Previous fellows have said it made them take really courageous steps that they never thought possible and also that they made lifelong friends and connections. In our last cohort, more than half have got promoted or got additional senior responsibility by the end of the program and that's particularly impressive because most of them work part-time or flexibly. Plus, I think they've all got quite mavericky in a good way. They're all involved in some shape or form of driving vital change for working parents, be that mentoring other parents, be that changing policy in their organizations, whatever fits at that moment in their lives. It only takes about half a day a week. Uh, Sorry, (laughs) that would be a lot. Half a day a month. So I think it's more than doable. It's been designed with parents in mind. 
You can find all the details on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash cross-sector fellowship. And also, if you want us to talk to your employer, to your organization about offering this to their employees, i.e. you, then let me know and my colleague Joe or I can have a conversation with them. My email is verena at leadersplus.org.uk. On a completely unrelated note, I also feel passionate about gender equality in podcasting and I've recently learned that the top, you know, 100 podcasts, etc. is extremely male-dominated, I think 90% male-dominated or something like that, depending on what stat you look at. And I thought that needs to change urgently. So if you want to help and <laughs> push forward female-led podcasts, then first of all, listen and share female-led podcasts. And if you think this podcast is, is good and useful, then also do share that, leave reviews and do all those things that increases the algorithm's prominence. So yeah, for example, a WhatsApp or signal message to some friends with a link to the podcast is always very welcome and very helpful. And hopefully it will help us smash this particular glass ceiling in the podcast world. See you next week and thank you so much for your support. <laughs>